Good morning, church. This has been just a, such a great series to be part of as we, as we followed God's story through, through the Bible. And, I, and I'm just hearing such good reports from, you know, back from our small groups and just from each of you as you've shared with me what you've been reading throughout the week. It's just been so good. Now, it's been approximately 725 years since God first made his covenant with Abraham and Sarah and the promise of a new nation and a new land that would reveal God to the world. And this promise is finally fulfilled. You know, it took Joshua uh, approximately 20 years to finish the conquest of Canaan. Then after Joshua came a time of Judges. In the book of Judges, it covers some really good leaders. And you, you probably read this week, uh, we read about Deborah and and Gideon and Samson, awesome leaders in their own way. Some had their weaknesses, of course, and some had their, their strengths, but it was great to read their stories. Now, last week, we talked about trusting God and taking hold of the new life that God has for you when you follow him. After many setbacks, the Israelites finally realize this vision. They trust God. They win the many battles to get there. They establish themselves into a new life with God as their king. And he dwells with them in the tabernacle and eventually the temple. And this is how God wanted it to be. But if you read chapter 8 from the story this week, you will know this, this good life doesn't last long. They now enter this disappointing cycle of sin that ends with the breaking of covenant and a withdrawal of God's blessing. They learn the hard way and eventually they repent and they cry out to God and, and God does what he does. He takes them back because that's his loving nature and he reestablishes his covenant again only for the next generation or the next generation after that down the line to repeat the same cycle. And the cycle kind of looks like this. This image that's going to pop up on the screen. It starts with the covenant and the commitment. It moves into new life, obedience, blessing, all those good things that flow within that covenant with God. But then it, the, the cycle nearly always moves into complacency. It then moves into compromise and, and, and idols and sin. And then God always brings his warning. You know, he always gives you those chances, doesn't he? It's just warning, warning, warning. Turn back. And if that doesn't happen, what follows usually is discipline, a withdrawal of his, his blessing and protection, leading to a lot of difficulties until finally the people cry out for help again and confess their ways, they confess their sin which leads to God, again, bringing forgiveness and renewal of, of covenant. And then the cycle begins over and over again. If you read chapter 8, you probably thought this just can, continues to happen. The pattern continues. And it's easy to roll our eyes and think, you know, what's wrong with these people? Don't they remember what God did for them? And the answer is probably they don't, which, which is the problem. In fact, there's a couple of issues going on. Not only didn't the following generations remember, the problem is that 
back when we were, you know, when, remember when we were reading chapter 7 and we were squirming and we were feeling uncomfortable about all the, you know, the, the death and the destruction and the commands from God. The problem is they didn't actually finish the job like God told them to. And so the Canaanite idolatry and, and, their, and their pagan ways, and, and they, were, they were very evil ways, slowly infiltrated their way back or, or infiltrated their way into this new life. And so, like all stories in the Bible, there is application for us today. Much of their lessons are our lessons today too. In the high view of this story, there, there is a principle for us to apply. There's so many lessons in this for us, but there, there's two that I want us to focus on. And the lessons are around complacency and idols. So number one, number one point for today is this. Complacency is the stealthy saboteur of the new life in Christ. Complacency is the stealthy saboteur of the new life in Christ. And by stealthy, I mean it, it just sneaks up on us before we realize that it even has a hold of us. And this is almost always the beginning of this backward step, this negative cycle. God warned, he warned them back at Mount Sinai. Look at this. We go back to Deuteronomy in chapter 8. He said, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when you heard when, you, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You know, this is a really important passage that, that still applies to us today. We are saved by God's grace alone. We, we know that and we hold on to that. But when we're talking about the transformed life, the life to the full that Jesus calls us to, we take on that life through repentance and the power of God in us. And the thing about repentance, the thing about it is that it's full time. Day in, day out, committed to Jesus. When we repent, we go all in. You know, there is no half in when you follow Jesus. It, it is just an all in proposition. Okay, yes, of course there's a period of, of seeking and exploring. And yes, of course there is a lifelong journey of transformation and sanctification. You know, there's the mountains and, and the valleys. Yes, there's the difficult times and there's the trials. Of course those things are real and we've talked about them over and over again. But it's important for us to fully realize that there is no such thing as having one foot in Team Jesus and one foot in Team me. Team me, as we go after Jesus, becomes less and less and team Jesus more and more. This is what repentance is about. You know, we often think of repentance as just this kind of this bad feeling for something that we've done. And while that's, it probably plays a part in our repentance because it does drive us on primarily, primarily, it's a decision followed by action. Repentance is a decision followed by action. 
to go a new way. It's a choice to say, I'm going all in for Jesus no matter what it costs me. It's a considered and deliberate choice and a shift in our thinking and attitudes around everything in my life. I'm no longer in control. I submit myself to Jesus and his will. And here's the truth. Well, ultimately, it's the most rewarding life. It changes and it changes us. It's a lot of hard work. That's why Jesus says the road, the road to life in him is narrow. We talked about the hard work of transformation last week, so I'm not going to labor this point. But the example from the Israelites and judges shows us that, that we just have to stay on point with our commitment. We have to be vigilant. Or complacency can set in, and complacency is the first step to the cycle of falling away from God. So what do we do? How do we stop this complacency? You know, the up and down of our Christian walk that, that we have with Jesus. How do we stop the infiltration of idols into our lives? And lastly, how do we teach the next generation that comes after us to hold tightly to the things that we know of Jesus? There is an answer, and, and you, you probably already know it, because there's no silver bullet. The answer simply is the same answer to every sig significant relationship in your life. It takes daily discipline. It takes the daily cultivating of our relationship with, with Christ. Day in, day out. Just like when you cultivate your relationship with a friend or a spouse or your child, the more you work on it, just quite simply, the better it is and the more robust it becomes. Another word for this is spiritual disciplines or spiritual formation. I actually did a sermon series on, on the, the spiritual disciplines about five years ago, and, and I remember it being quite good and, and helpful even to, to me and as well as to others. And so I'm thinking next year I might return to that and revisit it and just have some fresh eyes over the spiritual disciplines because they are, they're just life-changing. The fundamental thing you need to know about spiritual disciplines is that the disciplines themselves, they don't actually do anything for you. They simply open up the space and the opportunities for Jesus to shape you more and more and for you to be able to hear him better. That's what they do for us. That's the important thing. Some examples of spiritual disciplines include meditation, uh, prayer, fasting, silence and solitude, worship. You know, gathering with the church is, is a spiritual discipline. Studying, taking a Sabbath, these are just a few. In my opinion, the best teacher on this topic is Richard Foster and his book, The Celebration of Discipline. I highly recommend it to you. In fact, in my opinion, all Christians should read that book. Another one, another good book is Ordering Your Private World by Gordon MacDonald, an excellent resource, which I would recommend to you. Both of them, though, focus on cultivating that inner life with Christ. That is where we go to hold back complacency because complacency is a stealthy saboteur of your faith and your life. Speaking of saboteurs, idols are just as sneaky and just as damaging. And again, I don't want to spend too long on this because we've talked about this many times. But the one that I just have to keep mentioning because it's, 
such a big thing for us is, is our digital devices because in, in my opinion, they are the idols of our time. Now I have a smartphone, I've got an iPad, I've got a smart TV, you know, I actually have a Netflix subscription. These things in of themselves are, are probably fine, but they're also a huge trap and they just require very careful use because quite frankly, they're addictive. They steal our time. They're a constant distraction. They fill our minds with junk. They infiltrate our thinking and they influence our hearts, you know, in the wrong direction. Our phones and our devices can so easily become the modern day idols of the 21st century Christ follower. Unlimited entertainment, constant multiple social media platforms, you know, the, these things develop a fear of missing out. They lead to an increased need to be noticed in a, in a really unhealthy way. They can increase anxiety and depression and, and they, they certainly lead to mental health concerns. We're just seeing more and more evidence of this. And they rob our kids of developmental opportunities and I think even social skills. Personally, I've noticed I've lost some of my ability to just be still. The craving for the screen is like a new drug of our time. Not to mention the free and easy access, sadly, for the world, particularly for our, our young kids, our young boys to pornography and, and so many other temptations. Let's heed the warning from the book of Judges today about idols. This is not some kind of legalistic, fundamentalist, you know, pulpit thumping message. This is a warning from God's word out of love for us. This is God saying to us today, warning, warning, warning. You know, just like he did with the Israelites when he would send prophets and he would bring warning and warning and warning. Because these things become our idols and like a stealthy saboteur, we don't even realize until it's just too late. All these battles we won in our new transformed life, they start to unravel, they start to come undone. There's many other idols we can talk about, but I suspect you already know what they are. We have to heed the warning today. Point number two today is this. Our complacency in idols may be amplified in the next generation. This, I want you to hear me on this today, church. Listen, just listen carefully to this. The repercussions of our creeping complacency and the slow conversion to our modern day idols reverberates down through the generations. I just I want to say that again. The repercussions of our creeping complacency and the slow, the slow conversion to our modern day idols reverberates down through the generations. Listen to what Judges chapter 2 says. After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. In other words, they've passed on. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they went and served idols, Baals. It's easy to quickly blame the next generation for, you know, for what we see going on, but it seems to me that the current generation has a, a big responsibility to pass on not only the message of Jesus, 
but also the example of new life with him. According to this passage, the next generation just didn't know who God was and what he had done. I, it seems to me that the next generations were let down in this way. I suggest to you that complacency had already settled in before, settled in before that next generation grew up and took over. And if we do that, it's a huge disservice for our kids, for the next generation. Because it's actually our job to tell them and to show them. So, so what do we do? The answer is in how we live. How we live our life. You know, the answer is not to force anything on the next generation. The answer is not to load them up with expectations and burdens like the Pharisees did, but rather to be the example for them. The answer is to let them see our passion for Jesus. And if we don't have that passion for God, then we've got to go and get it. Because we can't expect anything of the next generation if we don't have it first. You know, go back to point one above about repentance and avoiding complacency. We also allow and encourage the next generation to ask the hard questions. That's a good thing. We also allow and encourage them to step out and use their gifts. We also allow them to succeed and we allow them to fail in a completely grace-filled environment. Our role to disciple our kids can't be taken for granted because the world is just throwing everything at them and we have to step up. One of the reasons why we're investing in a next-gen building instead of enlarging this one is because I believe the next generation needs our concern. They need our attention. They need our love and our investment. And God knows this. Look at the warning he gave before they moved into their new life in Canaan. In Canaan. Back to Deuteronomy again. Let's have a look. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy, and you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Verse 3. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey then all will go well with you and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord alone. Now, pay attention to this one, church, from verse 5. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I am giving you today. And then he goes on to say, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road and when you are going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts to your house and on your gates. I think we get the picture. You might say, but Nathan, it kind of feels like Pharisees to me. It's not. It comes from a heart that loves God. That's what I want you to hear. Around verse 5 and 6 there, that's the center of this message. 
This is about committing to God wholeheartedly out of love for Him and what He has done for me. God's ways are profound and life-changing and we love His ways because we love Him. Not because we're worried about punishment, but because we love Him. This is about passing on our love for God, passing on our love for God to our children, to the next generation. This is not about laws and rules. It's about relationship with God. And more than anything, more than anything, I want my kids to know God's love and love Him in return. I want them to know God's love and love Him in return more than worldly success and possessions and, and good times. As much as I want those things for them. That's what I want the most. I assure you, though, our complacency will be noticed by our children. Our hypocrisy will be seen and noted. Parents, hear the word today and grandparents and show your kids, show your kids how much you love God. Not by enforcing the rules so much. Of course, loving discipline is part of it, but here's what I want you to hear. It's through your obedience to the greatest command to love God and love others as much as you love yourself. Yes, you should show them how belonging and committing to a church is important. You should show them that through your actions. Yes, you should show them that reading and applying God's word is important. You should show them that through your actions. But those lessons will really sink in if you show them how to love like Jesus did. The way you talk about others, the way you give to others and serve others, the way you keep the peace and your obvious humility that you live out of. Your kindness, your patience, your generous generosity, your self-control, that will then point to the words you quote from the Bible as being real. Complacency or lack of it in the next generation starts with our attitude and commitment today. One of the best gifts that we can leave the next generation is an example of wholehearted, heart of flesh, transformed, love-filled, committed followers of Christ. That's the greatest gift we can give the next generation. If our actions don't follow the ways of Jesus, we're increasing the risk our kids, they may not go that, that, down that path. They may not follow Jesus. And the cycle we read about in Judges actually starts to become our cycle in our time. I'm not saying that giving a great example to our kids is a guarantee that they will follow Jesus. I know that they will have to make their own choice at some stage. And they do. But the lesson here is that our role in that process is really, really important. What we say, how we say it, and how we live it. You know, Jesus pens a letter to the church through John about this topic of complacency. And, you know, it's in the Word. It's in the Bible. It's for us to read today and consider. In Revelation chapter 2. Jesus says, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other like you first did. 
Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. You know, I wish I was there with you today, church. Because together I want us to recommit to our first love again today. Following Jesus is a day in, day out, all in commitment. It's hard, but it's so rewarding. And he promises to be with us. And in fact, he lives in us. So all that he desires from us is, is, is possible with his help and rewarding for us. Following Jesus is multi-layered and it's complex, but in another way, it's actually really, really simple too. God loves me. He forgave me. I am redeemed. Therefore, I love him. And so I have decided to follow Jesus. And I'm declaring today, for as long as I'm walking this earth, there's no turning back. Jesus is at the center. And so when we sing this next song, we hit the bridge that borrows from that old hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. I invite you to sing with all that you have as your renewed commitment to Jesus today. Let's pray together. Father God, we, we come before you now and we hear the warnings from your word. We, we, saw, we saw the pain that, that your people went through when, when they let complacency slip in, when they let the idols slip in and they fell away from you and they went through that cycle of sin and pain and suffering and, and having to go through redemption again. Lord, today... We learn that lesson and we stay with you. We stick with you, Jesus, because we know you stick with us. Lord, your word says that you love us. That old Sunday school song says, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. This morning, we know you love us. And you're calling us to go down the narrow road, through the narrow gate, all in for you. The life that you have in store for us. Not half-heartedly, Lord, wholeheartedly. God, we say yes. We say yes. Lord, where we lack faith, please bring it. Please give it to us. Where we lack love, please fill us with your love. Where we're weak, Lord, please be strong. And today we say, we have decided to follow Jesus. And there is no turning back. Amen. Amen.